All right. Well, we are coming to the end of a series. We've got a couple more weeks. Easter is in, what, three weeks from today? We're coming to the end of a series that we're calling On the Road to Easter. And uh, basically what we've been doing for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the last eight chapters of Mark. The first eight chapters of Mark are designed to answer a single question, who is Jesus? It takes about three years and eight chapters of Mark to get that into the disciples' head that Jesus is the Christ. Now, for the last eight chapters, and if you're looking at it thinking, how we're going to do that in the next couple of weeks, well, we're going to have to skip over a little bit. We'll consolidate some. Trust me, we'll be all right. But for the last eight chapters, which take place over the course of probably just a few weeks, not years like the first eight chapters, the last eight chapters, just a few weeks. There we're answering a question, okay, what did he come to do and what does he want us to do? We're going to jump right into it today because we've got a lot to cover. There may be some things shared today that you have never, ever thought of or heard. Whoa, how about that? Are you ready? Let's see if I can back that claim up. Here we go. The next day, remember last time we looked at the triumphal entry, which was Sunday, which means that now we're, what day of the week? It's Monday. Remember, last week, triumphal entry, he looked around, then he went back to Bethany. Now Monday, he's coming back into Jerusalem. It's going to happen every day, for the most part. Bethany in the morning, at night, come back in the morning. Here we go. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seen in the distance, a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. Now, before we go any farther, I do have my little laser pointer. Let's see if we get to There's the map. This is now a map of Jerusalem. So you see my little pointer right there? Okay. Bethany, where he's staying the night, is right over here. Every day, he's going to walk up this road just like that. And here's Gethsemane, where on Thursday night he will pray and eventually be arrested. But then he'll either come up this hill or he'll come around here into Jerusalem every day, deal with what he has to deal with in here, then at night, every night, all the way back to Bethany, okay? Except for Thursday night, Thursday night, he won't go to Bethany. Thursday night, he'll go here for prayer, and that's where he'll be arrested, and then Friday, brought back in here where he will be tried and convicted and then crucified, okay? Makes sense to you? So he's spending the night here, coming up his little, okay, not very far. And by the way, from here to here, is really not very far. It's just a few hundred yards. This is not all that big. Once he's in this area, um, Herod's palace is here, and the temple is here, and other, it's just not all that big. And it's not that long of a walk, but it is uphill. You can see how it has to go up those hills. You see the little switchbacks to get in here every single day. So while he's on his way, somewhere around here, he sees a fig tree in leaf, and he goes to find out if there's any fruit. Ready? Here we go. When he reached it, meaning the fig tree, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. Now let's stop right there. It seems a little odd, doesn't it? That Jesus would curse this tree and be angry when it's not, what? The season for figs. Why is he upset with this tree? Is it possible that, um, that, that Jesus has finally allowed the stress of all this thing to kind of make him a little humanly unreasonable, you know, because he is, after all, human? Why would he even approach it at all? I, he's the creator, okay? He created this tree. He knows fig trees. And if there's no fruit on it, because it's not the time for figs, why would he even go there? Why get mad? Well... To understand this and to understand what's going on, I'm going to have to talk about figs. In fact, the title of this sermon is all about figs. So uh, let me give you some facts about fig trees that will help explain to you what's going on. 
Because much of what's going to happen today is going to take some explanation. Stick with me, and hopefully it'll be clear. Ready? First of all, fig trees always have two crops. Always. Now, there is the final crop. That's, that's the big crop. It's always in the fall. Those are the figs that you buy in the store, and they're gorgeous. And I don't know if you love figs. I happen to love figs. I love them fresh. I love them dried. I love fig newtons. I don't know what it is about figs, but I love figs. But those are the crops that in fall. Jesus couldn't possibly think there would be any figs like that because all of this happened around the Passover time, which means it happened in late March, early April. Jesus, the creator God, knows there's going to be no figs on that tree. But he also knows something else about figs. Figs have two crops. One of those is called the early crop. And it always came on with the leaves. As the leaves are coming on the fig tree, so did the early crop. And the early crop had little bitty, teeny, tiny figs that would eventually all just fall down to the ground. But those figs were still edible. They weren't nearly as big or nearly as good as the final crop. But the early figs, you could eat. And it was those figs that he was looking for. As a matter of fact, the Bible even talks about early crop. Let me show you this. This is the Song of Solomon song, and a couple other places. Song of Solomon, he says, the fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vine spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. In other words, this is a, a love song to his lover in springtime. The fig tree has its early fruit. That's the fruit that Jesus was trying to find. Plus, there's something else about that early fruit that was very important. That early fruit told you how good the crop was going to be. If there were a lot of early figs, there would be a lot of final, late figs. If there were just a few early figs, there would only be a few final figs. And if there was no early fruit, there would be what? No figs in the fall. So now you know the first reason that Jesus said this. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs, it's not fall. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard him say it. Now it's very important, very important to understand that the disciples heard him say it. Jesus knows this tree is not going to produce any fruit. But there's another reason why this is very, very important. It isn't just Jesus' knowledge of horticulture, okay? Far more than that. In the Bible, throughout the Bible, very often the fig tree has been used by God as an example or a metaphor for the nation of Israel. Okay? That fig has often been used in the Bible as a metaphor, as a symbol of the entire nation. Let me give you a couple examples right here. Jeremiah chapter 24, verses 1 and 8. Uh, God is speaking to Jeremiah, and Jer he talks about... Uh, uh, the nation has now been carted away. Some of the people have been taken into Babylonian captivity. Some of the people have remained bad there in Jerusalem. And God says, you know, all the people that I've taken into cap Babylonian captivity, they are good figs, he says right there. If you don't believe me, check it out. And he says, but you know, all the people I left behind, the ones that I didn't want to go, the ones that are just not going to face my judgment, they are rotten figs. Likewise, Jesus in Luke chapter 13, he tells a parable about an individual, an owner who comes to a fig tree and, and the fig tree isn't producing and he says, tear it out. But his manager says, don't, no, let's not tear it out. Let's see if we can, you know, kind of fertilize it and water it and, and next year if it doesn't produce any fruit, 
then we'll tear it out. And of course, he's talking about the nation of Israel. There's a reason that Jesus approaches this fig tree. And there's a reason that he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Okay, are we ready? Is Jesus using this fig tree to tell the disciples that the nation of Israel has lost its way? Stop doing its job? Become rotten? Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. And now he's about to show us exactly how bad the nation of Israel has become. That's why these two are right next to each other. Cursing the fig tree. And what's the very next thing that happens? Let's go on with the story. On reaching Jerusalem, because remember, left Bethany, he's going up this trail. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? That's very important. In your outline right there, if you want to, would you kind of circle all nations? My house of prayer for all nations, not just the Jews. But you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Let's stop right there. Okay, now are you seeing kind of the, the side-by-side? Jesus approaches this fig tree. It's not going to produce. Fig trees often are a symbol of, of Israel. Then the next thing he does is he goes and he sees Israel buying and selling and using the temple for commercial gain, and he gets so frustrated with them. He's trying to show us how rotten Israel had become. And I want you to understand a few things about this passage because sometimes people use this passage to, uh, to go places in the church that maybe it really shouldn't happen. For instance, uh, should we even receive an offering because that's, you know, we're the money. Or some people, sometimes in the foyer or whatever, will sell tickets to uh, uh, an auction or something. People, oh, no, we're buying and selling. Well, now let me tell you what's really happening here. To understand why Jesus was so upset, remember that God required his people to present offerings and sacrifices there at the temple. It was a requirement. They had to do it. But people also lived very far away in very different cultures, which meant when they came to the temple, the first thing is their money that they had wasn't Jewish money. It was foreign money. It was money from Corinth. It was money from Rome. It was money from wherever they were because everyone had their own idea of money. To be able to give it to the temple, you had to exchange it for Jewish money, which is no big deal. But what was happening is people were not just giving the exchange rate. They were charging a whole lot more and then pocketing the difference. It had to be the type that the temple could use. And as a service, there in the temple you could exchange your money, which would be wonderful if you could exchange an equal amount of one currency for the Jewish currency, but that's not what they were doing. Did you want to give $100 in Jewish money to the temple? Great. Well, all that's going to cost you is $150 of your money, and I'll take the other 50 and I'll put it in my pocket, and here's your 100 bucks to go give. And that's what was going on. And of course, to bring a sacrifice... Keeping an animal alive on some of the, uh, the long journeys you had to do, that was, that was a really difficult thing to do. So as a service, people would just sell you the animal sacrifices right there. Isn't that wonderful? But if you could buy a dove 
for $2 back home, here it costs you 10 And you take the extra and you put it in your pocket. People charged outrageous prices. People used this as a way of getting rich. People were required to get, required to sacrifice and others said, how can I make a buck on the kingdom of God? Good old free market capitalism. You know what? There's nothing really wrong with capitalism. It's okay to make a buck in the store. It's okay to, to charge whatever you can charge if you have a store or a service on there, whatever the market will bear. But these people were held hostage because they had to give. They had to bring it. They had no choice. And the Jewish leaders and elders and teachers allowed it and took part. That's why Jesus was so upset. It had it just simply been an exchange, equal exchange, had it just simply been the, the, the animal sacrifices at, at the reasonable price so that these people wouldn't have a difficult time, that wouldn't have been an issue. See, Israel had forgotten their purpose. Their job was to make it easy for people to come and worship God. And they'd make it as hard. And they looked for ways to make a buck on it all. They made it harder and they used it to their own advantage. And how did God feel about the depths that the nation of Israel and its leaders had fallen? Well, now we go back to the story and you'll see. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Let's stop right there. Okay. Now, this is how God feels about the nation of Israel that is now turned away from its purpose, which was to help people and make it easy for them to come and meet with God. They made it difficult for people to come and meet with God, and they used it for their own advantage. And God is so upset with them that this fig tree that now is representing the entire nation withers, not from the leaves where it might have a disease that you could cure it from, but from the roots. This tree is going to die. And that's the way it is. Then Jesus says this. See, some of these, you're going to look at, maybe all these are kind of you know, individual statements that you can take out of context. I'm going to tell you, you can't. They're all one. So I'm trying to help you understand here. Then Jesus looks at them, and he's been talking about fig trees, and he's been talking about buying and selling. Then he says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. My word, have we taken this one out of context over the millennia. As people take a look at this and say, oh, see, I can get anything I want if I just pray and believe. Sometimes we, we call this the prosperity gospel. We've talked about it, the name it and claim it gospel. But did you see what he said? It seems like he's saying if you want something, all you have to do is really believe it, and you can even take this mountain and move it into the sea. Now let's stop and think for a second. There are billions of Christians 
How many of them do you think at some point in their young Christian life has prayed for Mount Hood to go into the ocean? Has anybody ever seen a mountain fall in the ocean yet from somebody's prayer? In 2,000 years of praying this, has it happened? Hmm, interesting. Interesting, isn't it? You see, we already know that what we think this verse means, it really doesn't mean, it can't possibly mean. This can't mean that if you want something for yourself, all you ought to do is pray and believe it and it'll happen. We know that. We've already seen it a couple weeks ago. Let me show it to you one more time. Here we go from the book of James. When you ask, he says, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. Now let's take what he just says there and what Jesus just said. Jesus just said, look, if you want something, pray, believe, and it'll be yours. And James says, no. Did Jesus get this wrong? Does his half-brother James, that's who this is, have to correct Jesus' theology at this particular point? I don't think so. So what did Jesus mean? It can't possibly mean that if you want something, name it and claim it and you got it. Because James already tells us that's not the way it works. He can't be talking about using faith and prayer for our own advantage. We've already seen what Jesus thinks about people using the kingdom of God for their own advantage. How he condemned the nation of Israel because they were using the kingdom of God to make their money. Then he ends with a whole other statement that seems to be unconnected from everything else as well. Here it is. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Whoa. It almost seems like we have several disconnected things happening all at once, and that's not true. They're all connected into one main idea. Jesus uses the fig tree, and he knows that there's no fruit on that fig tree. He sees that the early fruit is gone, and he curses that fig tree. He says, may no one, he understands that that is the fig tree represents the nation. Israel had really messed up. And matter of fact, here are the errors that Israel had fallen into, right here. They used the kingdom of God for their own personal gain. They felt that their relationship with God made them superior. They would look down on other nations. And they tried to keep the kingdom of God to themselves. Oh, they were so adamant about only Jews could come here. And if you were a non-Jew, you were called a Gentile. And the rabbis would pray every day, God, I thank you that you do not make me a dog or a Gentile. But did you? Hear what Jesus said about the temple? My house should be a house of prayer for the Jewish nation? Oh. Oh. But the Jews, being human, kept it to themselves. That's it. And that's what's going on here. He's so upset with the Jewish nation because they were given such an incredible opportunity and privilege to be the voice and the light of God through the entire world. 
and then to invite that entire world into relationship with God. But instead of receiving that as the privilege and responsibility, they kept it to themselves. They put up walls. They kept people out. They looked down on other nations. And then they even looked for ways that they could take advantage of one another for personal monetary gain. And Jesus said, I've had it with you. And Jesus starts something very new in just a little while. And we call it the church. He'd already told Peter that he was going to start a church. And he said, based on the confession, I'm going to build my, my, my kingdom right there. That's where I'm going to build my church. And you guys are going to storm the gates of hell and the gates of hell will fall down. As long as the church doesn't fall into the same trap right there. There it is. Using the kingdom for personal gain. Oh, I, I want a relationship with God so I can get everything I want. Feeling the relationship made the superior. I am so holy, <laughs> and those people are just rotten sinners. Looking down on them because they're just so stupid and broken and sinful and lost. And then keeping it to ourselves instead of understanding the incredible privilege we have. So what's the takeaway in all this? Are you ready? Here we go. Now we're into your sermon notes. Finally into your sermon notes. It took this long. I had to give you all of that so I can give you this, all right? Are, we, are you with me here? There you go. Are, are we connecting? You understand what we're talking about here. This whole thing is one great big passage. Remember I told you we were going to call it, do you remember the word I told you, the passage that all has the same ideas called? Do you remember? It's called a pericope. Oh, isn't that great? I just gave you a pericope. It means a, pa a block of scriptures that come together to form a central point. They may look disjointed, but they're not. There's a reason Jesus had this fig tree issue just before he went to cleanse the temple. There's a reason that he prayed what he did and told people how to pray after the temple. Here it is. Ready? Here's your takeaways. Number one, Jesus calls me to responsibility, not just privilege. Now, does Jesus call us to, to privilege? Is it a privilege knowing the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have privilege to be able to go into your Father and to speak with Him and to ask Him for anything? You won't probably get everything, but you can ask Him for anything. Isn't it a privilege to be part of a church that loves and cares? It is. But that's not really the point. Just as God called the nation of Israel to be the light right here in this world, so He calls us to a point of responsibility and this is a mistake that we often see in our consumer driven society as people come in and say i haven't had this happen to me nobody sitting here has done this to me so don't worry about it when i when i say this it's, i'm not talking about you because you didn't do it people come in and say well um what does this church have for me you know my response is a door <laughs> would you like me to show you where it is I'm, I'm not a spiritual. I'm not here to, to dispense those kind of services. It, we're not like that. Do any of you remember service stations from the 1960s? How many of you are courageous enough to put your hand up and say, yes, I remember service station. I, do you remember what would happen when you'd pull into a service station for gas at 23 cents a gallon? You would come in at 23 cents a gallon. There would be a team of people who would swarm over your car. They'd wash your window. They'd shine everything. They'd check the air in your car. They'd check the oil every single time and then say, is there anything else I can do for you, sir? 
No, that's fine. And then for that, you gave them a buck for four gallons of gas. We're not a service station. We're not going to shine your, your shoes. We're not going to wash your windows. We're not going to check your oil. That's not who we are. Now, if, if that mentality and, and illustration doesn't work for you because you don't remember it, maybe this one will work better. See, I have to resist, here it is, called the cruise ship mentality. Maybe that's a little bit better understanding of what sometimes we do when we come into the kingdom of God. Let me show you this picture right here. I love cruises. I haven't been on many. You know, some people cruise all the time, and I love to. But, oh, I love cruises. They're so great. I mean, have you ever been on a cruise? Anybody been on a cruise? Lots of people. Oh, man. You you show up there. They take your, your, your stuff right to the cabin. Uh, they, they turn your bed, you know, down and make it every day, and they turn it down at night, a little thing on your pillow every single night, and you have no responsibilities. Do whatever you want to do. Eat as much as you want to be. In fact, that's generally how you determine whether it was a good cruise. Was that a five-pounder? Yeah, that was a five-pounder cruise, babe. Man, that's a good cruise. I love them. I have no responsibility. All I get to be is pampered. But that's not the church and that's not the kingdom. What you signed up for when you signed up for Jesus. This is what Jesus said to his disciples when he talks about the, that point of privilege and being pampered and served. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus said, even I didn't come to be pampered and served. And if Jesus didn't come to be pampered and served, why do we think we come into the kingdom ready to be pampered and served? How can we be better than the Son of God? Now, I want you to know that that God does bless us all the time. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that He blesses us with, with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing God blesses but not for my own pampering. Write this down. This is very important. We've said it before. You need to remember it. I am blessed to be a blessing. That's why I am blessed. I am blessed not just simply because God loves me. He does love me. But I am blessed in order to be a blessing. The kingdom is not a cruise ship. I'm going to show you a picture now of what really is a better representation of the kingdom of God if you're talking about ships. And here it is right here. There you go. That's the kingdom. And you say, a slave ship? No, 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 those people aren't slaves. All those people are volunteers. That's why they're there. That ship is only going to go someplace if everybody... Now look, there are some people that are resting. There are some people that aren't working at them because there's always some people who are hurting. There's always some people that need a little rest. But look where most of the people are. They're making that ship go. That's the kingdom. That's what we're called to a place of responsibility to be able to share and to spread and to invite people in, not to keep it to ourselves, but to take the kingdom of God and make it expand. That's the kingdom of God. And it's been that way from the very, very beginning. This isn't something brand new. It's what the Jews didn't quite grasp. Let me show you this. This is when God first calls the Jewish nation. The first man, Abraham. Abraham is going to be the father of all the Jewish nation. He's also the father of all the Arabs as well, but that's a whole other story. He's the father of the entire Jewish nation. 
And when God calls him in Genesis chapter 12, we're only 12 chapters into the Bible, this is what God says. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. That still goes on today. God, this way, not just for the last couple thousand years, and that he's been working this way from the very beginning. I will bless my people. I love them, but I'm not blessing my people just so they can be blessed. I bless them so that then they can turn around and bless the entire world. See, this is the second thing we need to remember right here. When I accept a call to be part of the kingdom of God, I need to remember this. My call is to help make disciples. That's my call. Now, are you going to be blessed in the process? Of course you will be. Our Father's going to take care of your needs. He's going to love you. You're going to have your sins forgiven. You're going to be part of a family that's wonderful, but it isn't just for your own benefit. Otherwise, we become just like the Jewish nation. They kind of kept it all to themselves. And then if we try to turn around and use all of this for our own personal advantage, we're just the buyers and sellers in the kingdom. My call is to help make disciples. This is what Jesus said the very end of his ministry, just as he's getting ready to be lifted up into, into heaven. Then Jesus came to them and he talks to the disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and, and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And, sure, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said, look, You're my disciples, and I love you, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to help you, but do you understand why you're here? I need you to help make more disciples. Jesus says, my, my time physically on this earth is done. I was here for 33 years approximately. For about three of those years, I was teaching and preaching, but my time physically is done. But we're not done making disciples. I need you to do this now. I'll be with you. Don't worry. I'm going to help you in all of these things. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. That's the prayer that he prayed, and that's what he told him to pray and how to believe. I'll be with you, but your job is to make disciples, not just enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. And that's what Israel forgot. They kept it to themselves. They actually had prayers and rituals and, and rules and regulations that would keep other people out of the kingdom because they wanted it all. For, they thought that they were a special people and being special, it was just for them and God had chosen them and only them. And they let it go to their heads. And they started keeping people out. And even if they didn't keep them out, they didn't actively try to bring people in. We are called to help Jesus build his kingdom right here on this planet and for all eternity. We are not a cruise ship. When you signed up for Jesus Christ, you don't get your cabin and we're not going to turn your bed down at night and there will be no chocolate on your pillow. We're not going to wash your windshield. We're not going to check the air in your tires. 
We want you to help grab an oar and move this ship forward however you can. That's the way it works. And if it seems like a huge task, you're right, it is. If it seems like something that's bigger than yourself, you're right, it is. It's supposed to be. If you could do it yourself, you wouldn't need God, would you? Believe me, God has set this whole thing up so that you can't do it on your own, and I can't do it on my own. We can't even just do it just with one another. We can only do it with God. Which brings us into that, that second thing he was really talking about in these prayers. Okay, He, he talks about the, the, uh, the fig tree and, and why it was cursed, and then he says, now you have to pray believing, and if you pray believing, what you need is going to be given to you. Does that mean I get all the thing I want? We already saw it. that isn't true. So what is it? I have to do this. I must believe that God will give everything I need to complete my call. What do you need from God to complete the call that he's given you? That you can claim and that he promises to give, whatever it is. Whatever it is. I've told you before, but I'll remind you once again, one of the things that I needed more than anything else was the courage to stand up in front of people because growing up, my greatest fear was public speaking. And here I am. Thousands of times getting up in front of people. And when I was younger, I would almost throw up at the thought. I would run from the thought. And still today, believe it or not, I don't like attention. Put me in a a crowded room and I'll do my very best to find a corner and to sit there. That's just me. But I couldn't do that. My father said, okay, here's how how I want you to help build a kingdom. I want you to be a preacher. You've got to be kidding. I can't do that. He said, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. I will give you everything you need. Still today, to this very day, my friends, I cannot eat breakfast on Sunday mornings. I can't do it. I cannot do it. I haven't had breakfast on Sunday morning. Will you guys have pancakes? I cannot have breakfast on Sunday mornings. Haven't been able for decades just because of what I know I've got to do in just a little while. Now, I'll gorge myself in the afternoon. That's okay. Don't worry. So don't you know, look at me. It's not like I'm missing any meals here, really. It's just that still today, I'm... I do what I do because my father helps me do it. And there's joy in doing that. And I love doing that. And at the same time, it scares me. Because that's just not who I really am naturally. See, here's three things that we say that, that get in the way of actually doing what God is calling us to do, to be part of the kingdom, to help build the kingdom. Here they are. These three things. I can't. I don't have. I won't. I can't do that. And God says, yeah, you can. Of course you can. Would you ask believing in prayer? Would you ask in faith that if I call you to do something, of course you can do it. I won't call you to do something unless I give you what it takes to do it. Of course you can do it. Can you believe that I called you and can you believe that you'll have everything you need to do it? Then do it. Well, I I don't have. No, you don't have. But could you ask in faith, believing, and then you will have what you need? Is it time? Well, our Father has given us all 24 hours a day, and then what He does then is He says, okay, let me help you reorder your time and your priorities so that you will have the time. Is it some sort of talent or gift that you need to do what He's asked you to do? He'll give it to you. 
believe it, just do it. What resources do you need to do what he's called, not what you want to do? Okay, there's a very different thing. I want to do it. And God says, it's wonderful, I appreciate it, but I didn't call you to do that. I didn't call you to be up front. I called him to be up front. I called you to do this. And whatever you need, you'll get. I won't. God, I can't help you. And neither can God. There's no cure for that one except you. But these are the three things that kind of get in the way of us taking part of the kingdom where we know I can't do it right. I don't have an... Yeah, you do. If you pray believing whatever you need to fulfill your call, you'll get. But don't doubt. Well, I, I don't really know... Used to, uh, when we did specials, things like that, I remember people would stand up and go, oh, you know, I'm so unworthy to be up here singing. I really shouldn't be up here singing. I heard that so many times I wanted to stand up and say, then get down. We know you're unworthy. Believe me, we know you. You don't have to tell us that. Either sing as God has asked you to sing or shut up and get off the platform. You either have by faith what God has given you or you shouldn't be there. Don't apologize and don't make an excuse. Just do it by faith. See, here's the truth from God's word. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God will guarantee to give you everything you need to be part of his kingdom wherever he's calling you to be. Is it a teacher? He's going to give you the help to be a teacher. Is it taking care of the kids? He's going to give... You know what's the simple way to do this? How about just inviting somebody to be part of our fellowship? How about just inviting somebody that you know, some friend or a neighbor or somebody that you encounter to be part of what we do here? You can do that. Does it scare you? Okay, all right, but you know what? God will give you what you need to be able to say to a friend, to a family member, to somebody, hey, man, why don't you come and be part of who? I would love for you to check this out. You can do that. And as you do, we help build the kingdom. But then Jesus ends this whole passage with one final instruction that seems to be kind of, you know, sitting off by itself, and sometimes we take it that way, but it's all part of the same thing. Because remember, the nation of Israel had been given a responsibility, and they had rejected that responsibility. Their responsibility was to be the place for all nations to come, and they kept it to themselves. And they were really mad at the nations. That's why Jesus ended it this way. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. You see, to be forgiven, to be productive in the kingdom, to take your place and to really do what God has called us to do and our responsibilities, I have to do this, but I have to let go of my grudges. I have to let go of my grudges. I can't reach people I despise. And I can't reach people if they sense unforgiveness in me. Because then I'm more of a work in progress than I'm really 
an example. Sometimes we let past hurts, bitterness, cling to us like old worn out clothing. And it's so hard then to be part of the kingdom to, to build and to reach when the bitterness that we sense and we have is evident. This is what Scripture says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against any of your people, but love your neighbors yourself. That's from Leviticus. That's from the Old Testament. The New Testament puts it like this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now there it is. Do you understand how it's all one? It might look like it's little individual pieces that you can take apart, but it's not. It's all one thing. Jesus uses this fig tree to say, look at this, Israel is no longer productive, and because they're no longer productive, they're going to die. I'm going to start something new called the church. And the reason they're no longer productive and the reason this is going to happen is because they're keeping it to themselves, they're using it to their own personal advantage, they've forgotten the awesome privilege and responsibility I gave them to be the place of prayer for all nations. And here's the warning he says to the church. It could happen to you too. When the church becomes just a place where people want to come only for their own needs just because, well, the roots get rotten. Jesus says, look, I'll give you anything you need to get it done. I've called you to this great privilege. I'll give you every, just believe that I'm going to meet your needs to fulfill this obligation, and you got it. But don't carry a grudge. If my forgiveness is going to flow through the church to a world that needs forgiveness, you've got to let go of it. Because as soon as my forgiveness flows into you bear a grudge, it stops right there. That's the wall. It can't go any farther. You can't pass it on because you haven't really received it. Let go of the grudge and let it flow. Did you think those passages said all of that? It's kind of fun, isn't it? Man, as I was reading and studying, looking at this, I got excited about it because I just love the way Jesus puts this all together. So it just comes down to this then. Are you willing to find your place of responsibility, not just privilege? I don't mean you're going to be up on the platform, you have to go be ordained, or you're going to go door to door. I don't know how God is going to ask you to help build the kingdom. I can't tell you that. It could be in, this, in one of the Sunday school classes. It could be just as simple as inviting a few people to come and be with you. But somewhere God has given a responsibility. A few of us need to take a break, just like on that little ship. Not everybody was rowing because some people are tired. Okay, a few. Most of us aren't that tired. Most of us need to grab an oar. Wherever it is. Whatever it is. And whatever God calls you to do, believe by faith. He will give you what you need to do it. Don't make an excuse. Don't apologize. Just do it. All of that from one illustration of a fig tree. You'll never eat figs the same way again. Father, thank you so much. We appreciate the fact that you do teach us. And Jesus, we know that you have a heart for the Jewish people. Uh, your, your word tells us that. You're still reaching out to the Jewish people. 
And Father, we want to remember to do that and not look down upon them as because they didn't fulfill their role. Father, that would be just as wrong about it. Father, we're still learning to fulfill that role. Sometimes it's so easy in our consumer mentality to make it all about us. Father, it's really about being part of a kingdom. How can we do that for you, Father? To teach or to preach or, or to share. And Father, financially we can do that. We can do that as we help around. We can do that just as we bring your word to people. We can do that as we invite. But Father, thank you for that responsibility and the privilege of that responsibility.